Well, if I have not had the privilege of meeting you before, I'd like to welcome you to Christ the King Church. My name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here at CTK, and I want to welcome everyone here at the Bellingham campus. We want to welcome our part of the family who's worshiping at our Ferndale campus. Ferndale, we're glad that you're here. And we want to welcome all those who are watching online as well. I want to say a special welcome to the Green family who watches every single week all the way in Australia. So Green family, we're glad that you're here with us. Good to have you as part of our family. A couple of announcements as we get started. First of all, there will be a baptism class happening on September the 26th after the 1130 service. We're changing the format of our baptismal services, and we're having one baptism class the week before. The purpose behind that is so we could really get to know the people who are being baptized, that we can make that time, that celebration even more personal and, and, and more a part of our family. And so we're going to be baptizing the weekend of October 2nd and 3rd. But if you want to be baptized, you need to come after the 1130 service on September the 26th. Second announcement, a very important one, is on Sunday afternoon this weekend at one o'clock, we're gathering all of the leaders of Christ the King together to talk about deep and what it is we're trying to accomplish this fall. If you are a leader in any ministry at all at Christ the King, if you lead a group of people in any ministry at all, we're inviting you to come to that particular time and to spend a couple of hours with us as we prepare ourselves for the future. I mean, it seems that it wouldn't make sense. If we're going to invite the entire church to go deep, the leadership should be in the water first, right? And so if you lead anything, a small group, a worship team, a children's small group, a D group, a flip side group, whatever it happens to be, if you lead anything, and I'm going to leave that to your definition, we're going to encourage you to come at one o'clock. If you haven't RSVP'd, we're not going to have lunch for you because we didn't get your RSVP soon enough, so you're going to have to go feed yourself and then come back as quickly as I can. Okay? That would be great. Now, as well, I know for a fact that I'm causing a spiritual dilemma for some of you by placing this Sunday at one o'clock p.m., okay? For those diehard faithful fans of the... Seattle Seahawks, I have a solution for you, and it includes three words, or three letters, DVR, okay? We're not going to tell you what the score is. You can do that. If you don't have DVR, here's a really cool other solution. You can find a brother or sister in Christ who does get together with them, experience real biblical community commercial free, which is awesome, okay? So we're just inviting you to be a part of our afternoon on Sunday afternoon, uh, regardless of what campus you're worshiping at, we'd love to have you come and be a part of that. So we're starting a brand new series this week called Deep. And I'm going to start off by telling you this. I learned how to swim at the YMCA in Brandon, Manitoba. Okay? My lifeguard's name, my swim teacher's name was Ellis Crouston. Why I remember his name, I have no idea. Because I was like five or six years old. But that was my lifeguard's name. And I remember that we learned how to swim in the shallow end of the pool. I loved the shallow end of the pool. I think it's the perfect place to learn how to swim. Because if you're in the shallow end of the pool, if your arm reach fails or your flutter kick fails, your answer to not drowning is simple. You just stand up. It's perfect, right? So I learned how to swim in, in the shallow end of the pool. And what I avoided and stayed away from as much as I possibly could was what was at the other end. I stayed away from the deep end of the pool. I didn't like the deep end of the pool because I couldn't even see the bottom of the deep end of the pool. What I visualized in my mind was somewhere down in the blue murky depths was my lifeless corpse floating along. 
at the bottom end of the pool because it just scared me. And because of my experience learning how to swim in the shallow end of the pool and avoiding the deep end of the pool, I came up with a great life philosophy that has stuck with me for years, and it goes like this. Avoid deep at all costs. And that has served me very, very well for many, many years. Now, here's what's funny. Different people actually tried to bribe me into going deep. I still remember my dad sitting up in the parents' viewing lounge behind the glass and holding up a dime and then pointing to the diving board that was suspended over the end of the deep end of the pool. Parents, can I just tell you something? Okay, I'm just going to just be, be straight up. I'm making you nervous here in Bellingham just a little bit. That's good. Just going to keep the bounce going. If you're just listening to this, I'm standing on a diving board and making people really nervous right now. Some of you took out your camera hoping to get a YouTube moment, and I'm not going to help you out. Okay, so, but my dad would hold up a dime and point to the diving board. Parents, for the record, if you want your kid to take his life into his own hands, offer something more than a dime for a bag of chips, okay? I mean, I'll jump off the Empire State Building for a Ford Mustang, but a dime? Are you kidding me? How cheap can you get? Anyway, so, he would point to the diving board, and I'm like, I'm going down there. A couple of times I worked up my nerve. I actually walked out to the end of the diving board. I looked down. I reconsidered and I took the walk of shame back off the other side and went down the ladder. Some of you have done it. You're speaking from experience, right? I'm completely freaked out because as I get to the end of the diving board, I realize something about the water underneath of it. It's deep. It's a problem. I don't want to have to encounter that because if I jump into the deep water, I might not ever come back up to the surface again. So the diving board freaked me out. I mean, I, ter- I decided when I was a kid, it was like a conspiracy because the lifeguards were a part of the deal too. They would actually put coins all across the bottom of the pool and say, all you got to do is dive in, kids. Sick and twisted individuals, all of them. <laughs> you trying to pay me off, to, I mean, to, to putting my life on the line. Here's my point, Okay. For some people, deep is scary. It's just scary. I mean, think about it. Maybe you've heard this before. You are in deep trouble, young man. Uh, Anybody been there? Maybe you've heard this one before. But I am in deep pain. I don't want to go there. Maybe at some point in your life, you experienced deep disappointment. Or maybe a friend grabbed you sometime and said, Dude, I cannot believe you did that. You are in deep weeds. Right? For some reason, when we hear the word deep, we think negatively. Well, for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to challenge you here at Bellingham and at Ferndale as well to flip deep upside down. Because what if deep didn't have to be scary? What if deep could be energizing? What if deep was an amazing definition of godliness? What if instead of staying in the safe part of the shallow end, we as a church decided to dare to take a leap of faith into some of the deep and somewhat intimidating things of the character of God? What if we had the courage to actually get off the end of the diving board in our faith and free fall and fly and hopefully swim, right? I got to go to Costa Rica a couple of years back and as part of my trip to encourage some church planters, that's why I was there, I got to spend a day snorkeling off of a boat called the Lazy Lizard. The, the, the captain of the boat's name was John. John was an amazing guy. He was like half fish. 
I mean, he loved the water. As soon as we dropped anchor, he was over the side in a flash. And it was our, you know, job to try and keep up with him. And you'd watch him disappear down deep into the water. And then he would bring up treasures. These incredible sea creatures. And he would hold them just below the the line of the water. And we got a chance to experience them. John and I were snorkeling together. and, And I'm, you know going a little bit deep, and he's going way, way, way down deep and bringing this cool stuff up, and I'm thinking, it'd be really cool to go down there, but I'm not going down there. And he popped up one time, and he goes, oh, you got to see this. Drop down about six feet under the water. I'm like, "Mm." okay, maybe just once, right? So I let the air out of my lungs, and I kind of go down about six feet, and there are sea rays, some of them about 12 feet across flying through the ocean. And as I drop down about six feet, John goes flying by on the back of one of these rays. He used to work for National Geographic. It's a pretty cool deal. He's on the back of this thing, just like... And he's looking at me like, come on! No! (laughs) Are you kidding me? I might stick if I got stuck in the back of that thing and it goes deep. I'm completely and totally dead. I missed out on the opportunity. They were gone in a flash. John comes back up to the surface. He swims back over again. Oh, that was awesome. Why didn't you come with me? It's deep. It's deep. We picked up anchor. We went around a couple of different coves. John dropped anchor again. And he goes, this is really neat. You need to know this. He goes, there is an actual sunken pirate ship right underneath of where our boat is. And I'm thinking to myself, pirate ship, sunken ship, sunken treasure. I will tithe 10% of it to Christ the King Church. If I find something, that would be awesome, right? And he's like, all you've got to do is dive down and you'll get, some, you'll get to experience something that very, very few people ever get to experience. Here was the problem with that ship. You couldn't see it from the surface. I mean, it was down there. So you know who didn't go to the sunken treasure ship? I didn't go. I stayed on the surface and worked on my tan. I floated on my back and I had a really, really nice time. And I spent the rest of the trip home listening to the stories of people who dared enough to go deep. You know, for many of us, we've spent our entire Christian existence bouncing on the end of a diving board or happily floating on the surface because the truth is we lack the passion, the desire, the knowledge, or the courage to go deep where God calls us to go. And so we're going to work on this for the next couple of weeks. We're going to explore the world of spiritual depth. Some of you are wondering, what in the world is that? What is spiritual depth? Well, let's start with a working definition for spiritual depth. I would, I would define it this way. It's an intimate knowledge, not about God, but an intimate knowledge of God. We're going to pursue knowing God intimately. We're going to lay out some concrete steps that we can take to step right into the character and the heart of God to to a place that may be a little intimidating, a little overwhelming, and a little scary, but that God calls us to. Because I've got some questions for you. What if you could know God? I mean, really know God to a greater depth than you do right now. What if you could move beyond an acquaintance level and develop a deep friendship with God so that you could respond to His voice every time He spoke to you and you just recognized Him in an instant? 
What, what if you could move beyond the surface of the head knowledge of religion and immerse yourself in the heart-driven depths of God's love? What, what if you could move beyond a life that says, is this it? Into a life-transforming faith that says, this is it. Not just something you'd keep for yourself, but something you'd actually dare to share with somebody else. What if you could exchange a shallow, a shallow have-to list for a life-transforming get-to lifestyle that left a legacy so that people were talking about you and the God you served for generations? What if it could be everything you ever thought it could be? What if you could get yourself unstuck? What if this fall could become a defining moment in your entire life when you look back and said, that was the moment when I had the courage to take a flying leap into God's grace and I experienced a depth of understanding and relationship that I never even thought possible. I've been praying this for Christ the King for several months. I've been praying as a church we'd be willing to take a flying faith leap into the deep things of God while acknowledging it's scary, overwhelming, it's intimidating, but it's also absolutely essential if we're going to continue to grow in our relationship with Jesus. I meet person after person after person after person, and they basically come to a point in their Christian life where it's just like, is this really it, Grant? Like, I just, I'm doing the same stuff. Where are the miracles? Where, 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 where's the joy? Where's the passion? Where, where, where's the answered prayer? Where, where's all that stuff that we all talk about but seem to have a hard time actually being a part of? I said I've been praying it, and the cool thing is I'm not alone in that prayer. Paul the pastor is writing to a church that existed in a little, little town called Philippi. We're in Bellingham. You're in Ferndale. These guys were in a little town called Philippi, and they were known as Philippians, Okay. He loves this group of people deeply, and in writing the first chapter of the book of Philippians, he actually pens out a prayer, and this is going to become our prayer as a church for the next three weeks. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 1, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. For a few moments, let's just dive deep into this passage. I listed some insights in your outline, and if you'd like to follow along, I'd love for you to just take some notes to walk alongside. Maybe, maybe that's a step you can take to go a little deeper. Instead of just listening, maybe you want to interact just a little bit. That's why your outline is in the program, and you can do that if you'd like to. First insight is this from this scripture. The outcome of spiritual depth should always be love. I love that Paul points this out. and Because I, I, I just think we miss this. The outcome of spiritual death is not, or depth is not an academic understanding of the gospel of Jesus. If you take your Bible and everything that's inside of it and you boil it down into a series of formulas, you've completely missed the point of scripture. The outcome of spiritual depth has, has actually very little to do with your brain. And it has everything to do with how your brain takes in what God has given to us and how it translates itself out with regards to loving. The outcome of spiritual depth is love. Love for who? It's love for God. It's love for each other. And it's love for people who don't yet know God. 
That's the outcome of spiritual death. If you're pursuing anything else and it doesn't result in one of those three things that I just listed, you completely missed the point. This is what I believe Paul is saying. Paul's saying, people, don't be so smart, you're stupid. Let that sink in for a second. Don't be so smart, you're stupid. He says anything of spiritual depth that you pursue that's not rooted in a love for God and people is completely and totally wasted. Let me tell you exactly what I mean. Psychology Today published a remarkable incident concerning the life and death of the Prince of Grenada, who at that time in history was an heir to the Spanish crown. Centuries ago, this particular prince was sentenced to life in prison in solitary confinement in a a prison outside of Madrid called the Place of Skulls. Apparently, the the authorities in the area thought the Prince of of Grenada might actually try to take over the throne of Spain, and so they put him in jail. During his imprisonment, he was given one book to read, a copy of the Holy Bible. And over the course of years, the Prince of Grenada apparently read the Bible hundreds of times and read it with painstaking care. I mean, imagine if you have nothing else to do all day long and you have a sole source of encouragement and hope, you'd probably spend a little bit of time reading. After 33 years in the same cell, the authorities went to where the Prince of Grenada actually died in prison, opened up the cell, and they found something amazing that's still there to this day. They found that the Prince of Grenada had taken a small piece of metal and had begun to etch notations. And the notations covered the floor and the ceiling and the walls of his cell. Some of the little notations that they found went like this. The eighth verse of the 97th Psalm is the middle verse of the entire Bible. Ezra 7 verse 21 contains all of the letters of the alphabet except for the letter J. The ninth verse of the eighth chapter of Esther is the longest in the Bible. No word or name of more than six syllables can be found in the entire Bible. And the list went on and on and on, covering the walls, the ceilings, and the floors. It is incredible to me that a man could spend 30 years carefully studying a book of life that's even been described by its critics as one of the greatest works of literature in human history, and all he gleaned out of it was a list of Bible trivia. Is it any wonder 1 Corinthians says, though I speak with the tongue and the wisdom of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm just a noisy gong that's banging and driving everybody nuts. If our going deeper spiritually only results in academic understanding of Scripture and not a love for God, a love for His people, and a love for people that don't even know Him yet, we have completely and totally missed the point. Secondly, spiritual depth should not only just result in love, it should result in several other things that it can take out of this Scripture as well. Spiritual depth should also result in greater discernment. When we know what God loves and hate what God hates, it allows us to make better decisions about our lives. I mean, let's face it. Most of our decisions of what's right and what's wrong, those are surface decisions. Anybody can figure those out. That's that's the easy stuff. Well, that's right and that's wrong. Hopefully if somebody clears it up for us, you know, we can just kind of lay a line down. It's pretty simple. 
But Paul says you're going to need an even greater depth of insight. You're going to need greater discernment because someday you're not going to have to choose between right and wrong. Someday you may have to choose between good and best. And that's a bit more of a challenge. Because you may have all kinds of good things in your life. The question is, what is God's best for you? How can you know perfectly what his will is in that moment? When we go deeper spiritually, we know God's heart. And we can see the difference between something that is good and something that is best. Because God tells us the difference. Secondly, spiritual depth should result in purposeful purity. Discernment allows us to see what's best, and when we choose God's best, we always choose purity because God wants us to be pure and blameless until he returns. Why would God want his children to go deep and in going deep become pure and blameless? I'll tell you why. It's because pure and blameless is unbelievably attractive in a world that's messy and ruined. Have you ever had somebody come up and say, What is up with you? Where does this joy come from? Why are you different? Why do you actually seem to care for people? Why does it seem like your eyes are no longer here, but somewhere else? My friends, if you've ever met somebody like that, or been described that way, that's a testimony to a spiritual depth that's coming out of your heart that only Jesus can inspire. Thirdly, spiritual depth should result in spiritual fruit. I mean, once again, I'm going to say it again. We're not talking about head knowledge here. We're talking about a transformed life that freely gives grace because it freely got grace. Paul talks about the fruit of righteousness. What is that kind of thing? What is the fruit of righteousness? What does it look like? Well, I would say this. When a person knows God intimately, the fruit that kind of shows up in their life, that kind of that hangs off of their existence, are things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. I mean, as we go deeper into God's character, His character begins to rub off on us, and we begin to see these outcomes come out of us. I mean, how many of us are naturally patient? You're lying. If your hand is up, that's something that develops out of an interaction with God. And I'm going to tell you something. The deeper he pushes you into patience, the more you begin to act like him. I was reading the Gospels. Jesus is infinitely patient with people. I mean, even the 12 guys who followed him around everywhere, every once in a while, you run into these great little cringe moments. We're going to talk about them in October and November, where Jesus is like, are you guys kidding me? Like, don't you get this? And then he lovingly begins to teach and imprint them. And he shows an unbelievable amount of patience. What else should spiritual depth result in? Well, let's try number four. It should result in more attention on Jesus. And you'll notice that it doesn't say more attention on the kids who are going deeper. Did you see the last part of the verse? I mean, who gets the glory when we go deep? God does. Because that's where the glory belongs. That's where the honor belongs. That's who we are attempting to make famous. I mean, some of us pride ourselves in being very deep. I'm not one of them. I'm not a deep person. I'm kind of a common sense, just state the obvious kind of a person. That's it. I mean, I don't go into the depths of stuff, but some of us, we pride ourselves in being deep thinkers, deep questioners, deep pursuers of the truth. And that's awesome, as long as you always remember that the brain you're going deep with was given to you and sponsored by somebody else. 
And if you think you're smart, wait until you meet the person who made your brain that smart. Our depth should always simply be a reflection of our deep love for God, and our deep love for God is sponsored by His deep love for us. Here's a couple more insights from outside of this scripture. These are more from experience. Number three would be this. I've noticed spiritual depth is easily shifted to other people. Anybody else notice that? We like to put this on other people. It's my pastor's job to create an environment whereby I am going spiritually deep. It's my pastor's job to spoon-feed me like a little baby, even though I've been following Jesus for 44 years. Can you tell that's a bit of a hot spot with me? Just a little bit, right? Some people actually think it's my job to try and bribe you into the deep end. To put a few quarters and a few dimes at the bottom of the pool so that maybe, just maybe, you'll dive off the end of the pool and go see what you can find at the bottom. Some people think that. Other people are more noble. They actually use scripture to try and blame shift spiritual journey and spiritual depth. Some of us actually quote 1 Corinthians 2.10, which says this, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. And we read that verse and say, I don't have a clue what it means, but it looks like to me it's the Holy Spirit's job to take me deep, so I'm out. Just so you're wondering, that's not what that verse means. Let me tell you the truth about going deep. It's point number four in your outline. Spiritual depth is my personal responsibility. Let me let myself off the hook and put you on it. Spiritual depth is your personal responsibility. I listed some scriptures there for you to check out, but I'm going to tell you what's in every one of those scriptures. Every one of those scriptures states categorically that at some point in the future, we're all going to give an account for our spiritual journey. We're going to give, a, give an account for our behaviors, our judgments, our actions, our activity, and our inactivity. And I'm going to tell you something on the front end. On the day you stand before the judge and give an account, I will be nowhere in sight. Because you're going to answer for your journey. And when I come and stand and answer for my journey, you will be nowhere in sight. Because this is not judgment by committee. This is what did you do? How did you take this life? Did you stay on the surface or did you go deep into the great and wonderful things of God? One of the most freeing moments I've ever had as a pastor is when I realized that I was not responsible for your spiritual growth. It just got real quiet in Ferndale, didn't it? Because it got quiet here in Bellingham. Let me say that again. Christ the King Community Church is not responsible for your spiritual growth. Felix Anderson, who's a pastor here, is not responsible for your spiritual growth. He's responsible for the spiritual growth of Felix Anderson. And apparently seems to be doing a fairly good job. Props to you, brother, okay? I mean, for each one of us, we are responsible. Now, don't get me wrong, okay? I want to help you in your spiritual growth. That's my goal here every week. 
I want to encourage you to go deeper. I want to challenge you to go deeper. But the reality is I can't go there for you. And you can't go there for me. At some point, we've all got to make that decision. Number five. Not only is it our personal journey and personal responsibility, but spiritual depth is my personal challenge. Philippians chapter 3, starting at verse 12, Pastor Paul talks about this, and he says this, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I don't consider that, I, that I've made it on my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. The Bible continuously calls us to go deeper. Next week, I'm going to talk about, about why deep isn't nearly as scary as we think it is. Because every time you find God calling us deeper, the amazing thing is He always calls us deeper into His love for us. And some of you may be wondering, okay, we look at Philippians chapter 1, and that's good. I know we're supposed to go deeper. Grant, I, don't, I just don't know. Why is this such a big deal? Why are we doing this right before October and November, which are traditionally big outreach months at Christ the King Church? Why are we focusing on this? Let me tell you why. The mission of Christ the King Community Church is this. It's to create an authentic Christian community that effectively reaches out to unchurched people in love, acceptance, and forgiveness so that they may experience the joy of salvation and a purposeful life of discipleship. I'm going to tell you something. I believe humbly we do the first part of our mission pretty well. I love being a part of a church that cares more about the people we're trying to reach than the people we're trying to keep. I love belonging to a church that's willing to put aside our, our, our personal wants and personal preferences for the sake of somebody else's eternal need. I love the fact that I belong to a church that, that actually cares more about the people that don't even know they're on their way here yet. We call them the people that are about to come. I love the fact that that's our passion, that that's our energy, and everything we're focused on is not trying to keep it safely inside of here, but to try and springboard it out there so that somebody can hear and understand the relationship that's completely changed our lives. I love being a part of a church that unapologetically teaches the Word of God of pure truth. I love the fact that we don't apologize for preaching this from cover to cover. I, I love the fact that we go to a church that, that preaches about, about rebellious prophets who are, get sucked inside of a big whale for three complete days. I love the fact we believe that to be true. I love the fact that we believe in pregnant virgins because Jesus, the mother of, of God, was pregnant and she was a virgin. If you don't understand that, stick around for Christmas. We'll tell you about it. I love the fact that this book says that Jesus was fully God and a fully man and that he came here and lived a perfect life, gave himself as a sacrifice on a cross to save our lives, that he died, that he was 
dead, that they put him in a grave for three days, but that this book teaches that three days later he came back alive again, then he left, and that someday he's coming home to take us back with him. I love that we don't apologize for this. Because this is the hope of the world. And you're the messengers. Not me. I'm one of the messengers. We are the messengers. Bellingham, Ferndale, you're the messengers. I love the fact that we're living out the first part of our mission. And I'll make you a promise. That will change over my dead, twitching corpse. Some of you thought that was funny. (laughs) I tell you what, I love the first part of our mission. But honestly, the back section of our mission statement has been bugging me for a while. And I have a question for us. Are we going deep into a purposeful life of discipleship? Not for the sake of a bunch of head knowledge so that we can be fully engaged in the mission of loving God, loving each other, and loving people who don't even know God yet. There is no such thing as a non-Christian in Whatcom County. They're all pre-Christians. We're just not there yet. And we've been called to follow Jesus because we don't want them to follow us. We want them to follow the God that we're following. You know, this is sometimes how I see my spiritual walk. It's kind of like this. You know, we get saved, and it's just like, yes, this is awesome. I got saved. Jesus washed my sins away. It's fantastic. And then we take a step like baptism, and we celebrate as a church that, 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 that beautiful picture of being buried with Jesus and being brought back to life with Jesus. And then we discover that if we're going to grow, we actually, we actually need to do some things. We actually need to learn how to pray. We need how to serve. And so we learn how to take a kind of a lower position. And we learn that this is not a position of weakness as a believer. This is a position of strength. Because here we pray and we serve and we reach out to people. And we kind of continue on our merry little way. And then we kind of get out to the end. And it's like, that was really deep. I don't, I don't know. I think I'm good. Just a little spring in my step. I think I'm fine. I'm just going to kind of hang out here for a little while because I can't go back. Got that salvation part covered. And pretty soon, you know, you, kinda, you can't sit in one place for very long. And life comes and hits you this way and hits you that way. And pretty soon, it's like... <laughs> you know, and, 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 and people go walking by and they're like, you know, what are you doing? I'm like, victory in Jesus, this is awesome. I'm living the abundant Christian life. It's so cool here. I'm just getting tired. But I'm not letting go because it's deep down there and I don't want to have to go like that direction because that would just be scary. Okay, let's be honest for a second. 
As strange as it may seem, for how many of you is this a really, really good description of exactly where you're at spiritually? I hear it over and over again. Is this it? Got saved, got baptized. I did a few things. I pray. I read my Bible. Is, is this it? We find ourselves turtled underneath of a diving board that God put in our heart to say, take a fly at me. So here's my challenge for the next three weeks. I'm going to dare you to jump. And I'll go first. I have no idea what your next step may be. Maybe it's the step of baptism. That's a pretty deep step. Maybe it's in a classroom setting. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's to begin to think and pray right now whether or not God is calling you to go halfway around the world next summer and give your life away. Maybe it's, maybe it's to go into a classroom and sit with somebody else who actually knows the Word of God and just learn more. Not about God, but actually know God. Maybe it's to break loose of worship that looks like this. I mean, I don't care. Maybe you get them to half-mast, awesome. That's great. But maybe, maybe for you, going deep is going to be to experience in God with wild abandon while we're worshiping because you're actually going to stop caring what anybody thinks about you. And maybe it becomes more about whether or not you care about what he thinks about you when you're worshiping. I have no idea what God may have called you to this coming year. Maybe it's to share your faith with, with somebody out loud for the very, very first time. Maybe it's, maybe it's to be a bringer and includer and then invite somebody. And I read a statistic the other day. It said 75% of people in North America would come to church if somebody would just invite them. Maybe that's what going deep means for you. Because Jesus said, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And you can't live out the depth of that calling until you do it. Maybe the step's going to be to accept Jesus for the first time and surrender your life to him. I have no idea. All I know is for the next three weeks, we're going to discover, explore, experience, and pursue the Savior who died for us. Discover, explore, experience, and pursue. Discover, explore, experience, and pursue. We're going to go deep. Let's pray. Father God, as the Letters for deep hang behind me.
I pray that we would understand the depth of your love and the depth of your calling. I pray we would not be afraid or intimidated. I pray for those of us who have a death grip on the diving board of our life and have refused to let go simply because we're afraid. Father, would you give us the courage to release that and to fall into the depth of your care and understanding. Lord, I'm praying that as a church we would be pressed deeper into you. Father, if you need to use need or crisis or pain, we invite you to do that. Because we want to hold on to you in both good moments and bad. Father, thank you for the prayer of Pastor Paul who wanted our love to abound more and more as we, as we investigated the depths of who you are. Lord, I pray that this would just simply not be more head knowledge, but that it would inspire us to share with the world the deep love of Jesus. We give our journey to you. We ask that you would help, encourage, and walk with us in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.